your reality is spiritual. His truth is his truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. So as I get ready here, I'm just going to get this out of the way, get this distraction. If you see me limping around, <laughs> I probably won't pace as much. Last night, I my fire alarms went off. And since it was in the middle of the night, I um, instead of using a ladder, I stacked up dressers and things. I know you can tell me how dumb later. <laughs> and uh, carrying a dresser back, I dropped it, and um, it tried to put my toe through the floor. I'm certain that that was the goal. <laughs> I'm really okay, but it's making me limp a little. So, um, if you want to pray for my toe, you know it's a <laughs> it's okay with. <laughs> Bring the elders, I need to... Huh? A toe. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm going to trip if I... So... Lord, bless this. So we've been talking about uh, the culture of the kingdom of God, Right? Kingdom is here, it's present, and we, um, we are either in his culture or we're, we're in some other culture, the world's culture or, or something besides his culture. And when we are in alignment with his culture, we release, we make him free to move in power and authority for us, right? And this is what we're going to be talking about today. Now, I'm going to start with some stories, a really quick one of my own, and then one from the Bible. Okay, one that's uh, a story of Jesus. So just to kind of get us started here, okay, I used to be a police officer, and when I was, of course, we would um, we would tell stories to keep ourselves entertained, just like, I guess, any job that you have. And we would tell stories of the folks. And some, some of the most hilarious ones were when people didn't understand authority. Now, I don't expect this story is going to be hilariously funny to you, but it's going to kind of make a point. So in other words, it would go like this. These were the funniest stories to us anyway, because, you know, we were kind of sick about it all, right, after all that every day. Um, but we would be arresting someone, right? We would inform them you're under arrest, and then they would begin to negotiate, right? In other words, what's so funny about that? They just could completely misunderstand how it works, what authority is like. Like even if we could, even if we had this majorly compassionate heart and just wanted to do this for you, we were in a command of authority. We didn't have the choice not to. And it would make hilarious stories for us, some of the negotiations. That's fine. I'll go with you as long as you give me a minute. I've got to run home and take care of a few things. And it's like, no, you're, you're under arrest and it actually starts right now. <laughs> right? Doesn't make any sense when you don't understand authority. Um, the first thing we're going to do, if you want to start turning to Luke 7, we're going to look at a story, okay? And I'm just going to tell you right out of the chute what we're going to do this morning. This is such an important word. We may do this twice because half the population of the church has gone at the fair. And this word is so important that I have a feeling we're just going to do this again sometime. This is a story like what I began talking about, okay? Um, this is a story about authority. I'm just going to give you the key right as we start here. You ready? Authority is abiding, and abiding is authority. Go ahead and say it with me. Authority is abiding, and abiding is authority. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to show you that it's true and how important and powerful understanding that is if we're going to release the Lord's blessing in our lives, our ministries, our homes, everything we do. Okay, Here in Luke 7, we're starting right in verse 1. Um, speaking of Jesus, um, here it says, Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now for some of you, I know this is important, so I'm going to give you context, okay? Capernaum was probably the most important or most bustling city on the northern shores of Galilee. Okay, This is also the place where many of the miracle stories that you read of Jesus in the scriptures 
Um, it's where he performed miracles. It's on the nearby shores where he chose his disciples. Okay. Ultimately, it ends up being a city that he curses because despite everything that he does there, they don't really turn um, to believe in him corporately. And historically, we find out that this city, um, it, it really came to fruition. It really became a place that was annihilated. In fact, they couldn't even find it until recently, like the remains of it. But that's the city. This is an important, you know, you think of it as like our Denver or something around here. Bustling place. Okay, so he's in Capernaum. And in verse 2 it says, And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him, in other words, was dear to the centurion, which is just a soldier, okay, was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. Now, before we move on, can we just agree that if this this soldier was going to send, okay, he's got a bad situation, right? And if he's going to send to Jesus and plead in that place for help in the situation, can we agree that he has some reason or some faith to believe that he's pleading in the right place? We've got that so far? Okay, that's the only reason you'd plead or send people to plead for you, right? Okay. Verse 4, it says, And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Okay, so you see, this is not the centurion. This is the people he sent, and they have an approach for getting this blessing. They're going to convince him that he's deserving, and why? For real Capernaum type of reasons. Because he's a great civic guy. He's even built them a synagogue. He's a patriot. (laughs) So he deserves this. Now it gets really strange, at least in my opinion. The conversation next gets strange, and it's very insightful. So look at these next strange words with me in verse 6. It says, Then Jesus went with them, and when he was... Already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. Okay, not that weird yet, but go on now. And it says, but say the word and my servant will be healed. Okay, there's a faith for you. Then it says, listen, It says, for I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Just at face value, does anyone else find that a little bit strange where the conversation just went? You see, until you get an insight, what's going on here? It really gets interesting when you see Jesus' reaction. To these words. In verse 9, it says, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. Now we've got to stop for just a minute. That just said Jesus marveled at him. Do you get a, get a handle on that? Do you think of yourself as someone that Jesus marvels over? I'm going to suggest that he does, but in this case, it's particularly being pointed out. Whatever it is in the strangeness of what that man just said causes Jesus to marvel. Now look at what he says just next. So he marvels at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Did you catch that? I mean, think about that for a minute. He marvels at him, and he says, I, apparently, this is the greatest faith Jesus has found. This talk about, I too understand chains of authority. I have some under me and some over me. And it's the, it's the foundation or the basis for how he brings his faith to Jesus that makes Jesus marvel and say, I've never found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I'll tell you, that is even prophetic. In other words, Jesus is, um, you have to understand they're, they're in Israel, right? <laughs> even in this story. 
They're in Israel, but what he means is in my own people, Israel, my, my, chosen, my, my chosen people. In other words, he's had to go outside of his own people to find faith like this. What makes the faith so great? You're already asking that question. I know you are. How many people were already asking that question? <laughs> okay. That's where I go next. And see, I'm going to tell you, um, this is what we're seeing. Okay, we're seeing a man who understands authority. Apparently, what Jesus considers great faith is someone who understands the way authority works in the kingdom. In other words, look, you can have faith in Jesus and his kingdom, and many of the things that you've put your faith in can be accurate (laughs) or inaccurate. They can be based in reality or not based in reality. Is that the truth? Okay, he loves you. I'm not saying you have to get get it all right all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying in this story, we just found out from Jesus that what he thinks is the greatest faith is when you actually have an accurate understanding of authority, of the flow of authority, how the culture of his kingdom works. That's great faith. And then you send and plead to the one. You see, what makes it, what makes the faith so great? He goes to Jesus because he understands that Jesus is worthy authority for anything to break into your life and make a difference or, or reach out in power, it's going to come in that authority. Does that make sense? So as we talk about the culture of the kingdom, okay, this may be the most foundational, most important thing. It is a kingdom of authority. And there is a way, in fact, you can't, you cannot read this book, especially after it's been pointed out, after the Lord points it out, or maybe this is a new thought for you even right now this morning. This is a book of authority. And the kingdom, the culture of Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of authority. Amen? His original plan, now I'm going off the rails. I was going to be very disciplined. His original plan in the Garden of Eden is that man would have dominion, that his will would be done on the earth exactly like it is in heaven. When sin caused that to go off course, the chain, the proper chain of authority was broken. Can we agree on that? The ministry of reconciliation, now I'm really going off the rails, the ministry of reconciliation that every single one of us is called to is restoring everything back under the name of Jesus. A kingdom of authority. He means to put his authority on you and accomplish his will. Okay. Now I'm going to remind you of something. I think we did this, I guess it'd be two weeks ago now. I'm going to remind Remember we said that the, the Pharisees were astonished. Who remembers? Why are they astonished when Jesus teaches, at least at moments? That's it. I heard it all over. That's awesome. He's one who teaches with authority. Now, I'm going to look at that briefly. I'm going to be quick about this. But why is that important? Or what does that mean? What does it mean to teach with authority as opposed to just teach something? Teaching, you see, just teaching, let's say teaching about the kingdom of God, since that's what he always does. You can talk about the kingdom of God. You can describe the kingdom of God. That's just teaching. Okay? Teaching with authority means you bring the, you bring the reality of that kingdom to bear in present. You see, Jesus didn't go around talking about the kingdom of God. He actually manifested the kingdom. He didn't say the kingdom is a place where there is health and wholeness. He walked around and brought health and wholeness. He said, be healed. That's teaching with authority. He didn't say it's going to be or it's a place where there's freedom of captivities, inner freedom, spiritual freedom. He came and said, be free. And people were free. That's teaching with authority, right? That's astonishing. Even the Pharisees had to be astonished. Yeah, we better read this. Okay, go with me to Luke 4 and verse 31. So here it is. Here's what I'm telling you, just so you know I'm not making things up. It says, then he went to Capernaum, same city, right? 
a city of Galilee and was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit, um, who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So even the demons know his authority, okay? But Jesus rebuking him said, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had been th- um, had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves saying, what a word is this? You see, what a word is this? He spoke with authority. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report of him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now, I want you to notice something, because this is going to be a little bit critical, moving into what I think the Lord really wants you to have this morning. Did you notice it says, for with authority and power, two different things, okay? Do you know the difference? between authority and power? Power is the ability, okay? It's the, it's the ability to accomplish the mission or the action. Authority is the legal right or the standing to be authorized to do it. Does that make sense? Okay, that's, hold that. That's going to be important. No, I'm going to be very disciplined. I'm not going to do that. Okay, um, go with me to John 7. Now, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to do, I'm going to go through things that Jesus said, and you're going to see a similarity in every one of them, and it's really just to show you one thing. Authority is abiding, and abiding is authority. Okay? That's what it's going to show you. So, what's, how does Jesus do this? Let's get something out of the way. Let's have good theology. You don't have to be scared when I say that. That just means dividing the word of God rightly, right? And it just means understanding correctly. That's it. We're going to look at the Christmas story for just a second. Don't worry, we're not going to do Christmas in July. Um, but you understand the Bible, the word of God is very clear that Jesus laid down his divinity, fully God, fully man, right? What does that mean? It states very clearly that he laid down his divine attributes. Why is that so important? You understand if he didn't do that, because he also said, you'll do greater things than me, amen? He had a plan to authorize you so fully that you're going to do greater things than he did. That's his plan. Now, that either makes him a lunatic or it's true that he laid down his divinity and needed to be filled with the Spirit. He, he can only be an example to you if accurate according to the Word of God, if he laid down the divine attributes and actually had to abide in his Father and rely on the Holy Spirit for the authority and the power in his ministry. Am I telling the truth? You see, if we get this idea that um, the fact that Jesus was God, is God, even when he was walking around as a man in the dirt, and he was, right? But it's also clear that he laid down his divinity. He is a king and a master that set an example for what he means for your life to be. Does that excite anybody? Okay, now um, look at this, uh, John 7 and verse 16. Here it says, Jesus answered them and said, listen to these words now, my doctrine is not my own, but is um, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I speak on my own authority. You see, where is he getting his authority? What's he really saying? He's from the Father. He's saying, I abide, right? I abide. And that's his source of authority. Goes on verse 18, it says, he who speaks for himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and no unrighteousness is in him. Abiding is authority. Jesus is saying, I abide. Let's look again. Um, John 12 and verse 44. 
We're going to start to see a pattern. (laughs) It says, Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. You see, there's abiding. I'm going to tell you something. You abide somewhere, always, at every moment. You're not necessarily always consistent, but you're always abiding somewhere. Is that true? Okay, and Jesus is saying, there's abiding in me, and then there's darkness. (laughs) Okay? What's darkness? Darkness is the blindness to be able to recognize the king and his kingdom and the reality of it now. Did you catch that? That that part's so important. Darkness is the blindness, blindness to the ability to see, to recognize and understand Jesus and his present kingdom and what he means. He means to bring you out of darkness into the light. Yes? Goes on and says, if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Now listen, here's why we're reading this. He says, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. There's our example. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. You see the pattern? Abiding is authority. Where does, um, where does your authority come from? Are we getting it? Abiding. Abiding. I'm gonna, I'm gonna completely prove it before I'm finished here. I'm hoping that we're gonna walk out of here at least with more clarity, but certainly with a crystal clear understanding, like, uh, a crystal clear understanding of how authority in the kingdom of God works so that you call forth the blessing, the power, and the authority that he means for you to be walking in. Okay? Because I was thinking, um, I want to personally thank you all for coming and, and what a blessing it's been. One thing I know for sure is the word of God promises that when you go, he promises that there's fruit. One thing I'm, I'm just personally convinced of is in this age, you'll never know how much fruit you just produced. All I know is, is that he promised that you did produce fruit because when you go, there will be fruit. He promises it. And I'm certain that you don't even, you can't even possibly understand the scope of the multiplication of the fruit because you, because you went. Because he said, go, and you did. It's incredible. In authority and in power. Okay. What am I doing? Okay. This is so good. I have to be disciplined here. That was undisciplined. I'm going to be disciplined. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm one under authority. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and do this one more. John 8 and verse 28, and then we're gonna do the really good stuff. You're gonna know why I'm going on like this. Jesus again, I really like him. <laughs> it says, then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, so he's talking to, to Pharisees who are trying to figure out, or people who are trying to figure out if he's the Christ, and he's really gotten into a point where it's a dispute. Between them. And he's saying, when you lift up the Son of Man, in other words, when you hang me on a cross, when you kill me, he's going to say, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. He says, but as my father, now this is so important, you got to get this. He says, as my father taught me, I speak these things. Now let's break this down. Have you ever noticed that you don't see Jesus praying for people a whole lot? You know what I'm talking about. You see him pray a lot. You see him go off by himself all the time. Okay. So we're at, as my father taught me, I speak these things. Now, this is so important to understand. You understand, we just went through scriptures that shows that he abides. 
Where does his authority come from? He doesn't speak on his own authority. He abides in his Father, and therefore the order of the kingdom is that he has power and authority to accomplish his mission. That's what we just saw. We could look at, at I don't know how many, 20 or 100 other places that illustrate exactly the same thing. I abide in my Father, therefore I accomplish the will of heaven with authority and power. If Jesus needed to abide, how much more us? Are you someone who wants to walk in authority and power for the kingdom of God? How do you do it? Abide. Okay, now I'm going to show you something. He says, as my father taught me. You notice that's kind of past tense, taught. As my father taught me. In other words, he had a life of abiding in prayer. He, he gained the mind of his father as a man here on the earth. He, it was abiding as my father taught me. And then automatically what? I speak these things. Do you see? Because I abide, I can then go and be as one who teaches with authority. Okay, I don't even have to go out as one who's like, oh, Lord, we just ask you, this is a bad situation, and just, just if please, and you know, in the goodness of your mercy, if you, if you even like me a little bit, if you, could, if you could just make, you hear so many prayers like that, and that's fine. If that's where someone's at, that's fine. But I want to show you the pattern of Scripture set by our King. The way authority works in the kingdom of God is that it's a life of abiding It's a life of gaining the mind of Christ who is in his Father and one with his Father and you become one with them, that that life of abiding, then you can go and you speak as one with authority. Then God will call you into um, um, a struggling marriage or something and you walk in and you command over that marriage. You don't just sit there and pray with the people and you're sitting there going, oh, Father, if, if there's any mercy left in heaven... You know, it's you walk up and you say, you say, be filled with the Spirit of God. Come under the authority of Jesus' name. This marriage is going to be blessed because it's God's will. Be done in the strong name of Jesus. You see, a life of abiding. Abiding is authority, and authority is abiding. And then he says, the Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. What's he saying there? I abide. Right? Jesus, Jesus, the one who created all things and in whom all things exist, says, I abide. And it's the source of authority. It's how it works. You understand why he says about that centurion, I have not found such great faith, not even among my own people in Israel. What was so great about it? He understood authority. He understood that if he was going to have a change in his situation, if there was going to be any power or authority from God's hand to change his situation, he was going to have to enter into the chain of authority and call forth the power and the authority of heaven in that way. He sent to Jesus to plead. I too am one. I understand the flow of authority. And Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of authority. I was going to do it all, but we're skipping. <laughs> we can't do it all. Let's go to, okay, we, we can do this. I really feel like, is it okay if we run over a little bit today? I really feel like this is such an important word, and we, we really should finish it. We should do this in obedience the way we, we were supposed to. So, um, Go with me to Luke 9. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you God's love for you, his plans for you, and, and how this authority we've been talking about is, has you in the center of it with Jesus. Okay, does that sound good? Does everyone here know that he loves you? Like crazy. And he's got you in the center of his plans. Do you know that? A couple people know that. That's good. <laughs> Sometimes I know it too. (laughs) And this is what this is. We're going to look at Jesus sending the 12, okay? And this is like, um, so this is really like their first um, being sent out, like, go get him, tiger. You know, like, um, let's see, I thought of an example for this, really to ground this, what's going on here. 
So we, um, that's what it is. We were camp, we've camped with Jonah since newborn. I mean, he knows camping. And there were many, many times I would take him out in the woods to gather firewood, right? We're going to go get some wood. And he would be coming along and, you know, of course I'd be, I'd be carrying wood and he'd have the twig headed back and you'd be going, Oh, yes, that's very helpful. So that's, that's very nice. Bring the wood. And then we, we hit the point where I can still remember clearly the first time we were camping and I actually sent him, I think he was four or five or something. I sent him off into the deep dark woods, the wilderness at least 30 yards to, <laughs> to go get wood himself. And I can remember seeing him like he knew that it was different. He began to walk out there like, I am going without you. Bring us some wood, right? That's what this is, okay? He's sending out the 12. They have walked with him. They have seen him teach with authority. They've seen him bring the present reality of the kingdom, heal, set free, cast out demons. They've watched. Well, now it says, then he called the 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. That's how it starts. Okay, this is the sending. This is the go. And what does he do? He, he gives them two things, right? What's he give them? Power and authority. The ability to accomplish the mission and the legal standing, the legal position authorized in the chain of authority to do it. Two things. And then verse 2, it says, He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. What's, what does that have to do with? What's he talking about? God will provide. He just took the emphasis off of every earthly thing that you would normally take to make this mission successful. In other words, he's saying, I give you everything you need, power and authority. You don't need the normal stuff that you're used to needing for a mission like this. He goes and says, whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Now, I want you to see what happens. I want you to see the result of them going in power and authority. It says, so they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. <laughs> Period. Just that matter of fact, right? He sent them and they go out preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. You know, going around healing everywhere. That's the description of a healthy church, a healthy life, a healthy family. That's actually God's plan, that we are ones with authority. He set the example and said, I send you. In other words, they were sent, <laughs> and they went and did it with authority. They were with him. Here's maybe what I'm not saying that I should be. They were abiding with him, right? They walked with him. They gained his mind. They, they, they were, they were, became one with him in that sense. Abiding led to going in authority. Am I telling the truth? I hear some quiet amens. Okay. I'm going to, um, just in case, what we just, I just want to make sure because there, there are actually commentaries, good ones actually, good commentaries, but you can go out and read specifically on these things that I'm talking about. And they say, well, that was for the 12. <laughs> it's really easy to write a faithless theology. It's, it's harder to believe than it is to write a faithless theology. Okay? So I'm going to show you, I'm going to, I just, I need to show you that it's not just the 12. So nobody walks out of here confused. So go with me to Luke 10. It's really, um, what is it? One chapter later, right? We're in Luke 9. Yeah. So he's in, he's in this phase of his ministry where he's beginning to send. Now he's sending the 70. Okay? So I just proved it's not the 12. He's sending the 70, and he says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. 
Then he said, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. That had to be encouraging. And he says, now this is going to sound familiar. Carry neither money, bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. What's he doing there? Greet no one along the road. Don't get distracted. Yeah. You're on a mission. You're on a mission, right? I give you everything you need, and you're on a mission. You don't need any of the worldly stuff. You'll not be depending on that. I give you power and authority. Because I didn't read that yet. So let's see. Um, so he says, but whatever. Okay. And he goes on and repeats instructions. I'm actually going to bring you down to verse 8. And he says, whatever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. In other words, just trust the provision, right? And it says, and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. You see, it's private conversation. Jesus is having a conversation, private time with this, with them. He's, they're not out there yet. This is the recording of Jesus sending them. They're abiding to get these instructions. And it calls forth the power and authority of the kingdom of God into what they're about to do. He's able to say, he's able to just command, heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. In other words, what? Preach as one with authority. Don't tell them about the kingdom of God. Heal them first and then tell them the kingdom's on you. Bring the reality of the kingdom. That's teaching as one with authority. Did you know he means for you to do what he did? To be as one that walks with authority? It is a kingdom of authority. Sometimes I'm even there in that place. Every, every once in a while. I shouldn't joke like that. I, he goes on, and actually I'm going to skip again to, to verse 12, and he says, um, but I say to you that it will be more tolerable in the day for Sodom than for the city that rejects what he's sending them out to do. Why? That's right. You know, it's one thing to teach about the kingdom of God and have people reject it, or teach about God and have them be like, eh, I don't know. And it's another thing to manifest the present reality of the, of the uh, power and authority of the Holy Spirit of God and show someone the reality of the kingdom and have them reject it. That's why he says it, it'd be better for Sodom and Gomorrah. You all know what happened there. Okay, um, Luke 10 and verse 17. Actually, we're already there. Um, go to verse 17. You see, here's, no, okay, I'm going to be very disciplined. Pray for discipline for me. <laughs> Here in 17, it says, um, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he basically, re I mean, kind of softly, gently, lovingly, kind of rebukes them in a sense. He, he says to them, um, he begins to identify himself, right? Why? Because we're talking about the chain of authority in the kingdom of God, right? So he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions in other words, all the pesky evil, different ranks of fallen angel of, of evil, okay, gives them authority over that, and over all the power of the enemy. That's what he says he gives them. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. But now listen to what he says. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. What's he saying? Say that again. <laughs> They're pesky, yeah. He's saying don't rejoice over the obvious part. Obviously, if you are abiding in me. Obviously, if I am your king and you're in submission to me and I'm sending you out, the demons will be subject to you. Obviously. <laughs> don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in the real miraculous that I have even, I've brought you from the pit into eternal life, that you're written in heaven. You're written in the authority of heaven. 
All right, I'm going to do one more thing here, I think. <laughs> so, so far, what did, what did we do? We saw the, exactly the same sending for the 12 and the 70, right? Because it's, it is a kingdom of authority. Does that include you? Or is it just for 70 old guys back in, in um, a different age that like, okay, well, that was fine for them, but it's not really for my life, right? Read with me Mark 16 and verse 14. Let's look at one more sending. Yours. Okay, verse 14, it says, so this is after he died, rose, he's appearing back with them. And he said, later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he'd risen. So he's dealing with disbelief problems. Um, do we have some of those sometimes? <laughs> I, I know I do. I've gotten my share of rebuke like this in times of prayer <laughs> where I'm just praying for something, right? This is what we do. I'm just praying and, oh, Lord, can we get a breakthrough here? And just, I mean, if there's, if there's anything left over for me, you know, and I'm having these prayers like this and I, and I can still remember clearly one time I'm praying like that and the Lord said to me, don't ever pray like that to me again. And said, come to me as a son and ask me to give you the authority to do it. So here, uh, okay, so I read verse 14. Verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Who? Those who believe and are baptized, okay? But he who does not believe will be condemned. Now listen. It says, and these signs will follow those who believe. Who? Those who believe. What are the other requirements there? <laughs> these signs will follow those who believe. Now, if you have an argument with what I say next, um, take it up with the book. All I'm doing is reading the book, okay? These signs will follow those who believe. And then he says, in my name. Now we've got to break this down really quick. In other words, what? In the authority of a kingdom that is a kingdom of authority. In the order of authority. Under submission to where all authority flows from. The throne of Jesus at the right hand of the Father is where all power and authority come from. That's in his name. Okay? This is going to sound really derogatory, and I don't mean it that way, but it didn't just say, um, for those who end their prayers with the phrase, in the name of Jesus. I pray that way. Do you know why it's good to pray that way? At least sometimes? Because it reminds you of the order of authority and how it works in the kingdom of God. It's really for you. It's very powerful. Pray that way. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray these things because it, it writes you in the submission of the kingdom of God. It reminds you that it is only by the authority, the power and authority that comes from the throne of Jesus Christ that it's worthwhile to pray anyway. It's in his name. It's in submission to the order of how the authority of the kingdom of God works. But you see, the good news is, is that when you do understand it, when you understand that you are a beloved child of God and you are seated on that throne with Christ, Ephesians 2, that you are the carrier of that power and authority. He means for you to go out and make the will happen on earth as it happens in heaven. And there's only one way. That power and authority comes from the throne of Jesus. It's not from Max. <laughs> okay, in my name. So, so where are we at? It says, in these signs, that was not very disciplined. See, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be disciplined. It says, um, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Okay, who is it for? Those who believe. Um, does he mean for you to have the authority to cast out demons? Do you believe? Yes. They will speak with new tongues. 
That's a message for another day. <laughs> they will take up serpents. What, what does that mean? In other words, um, you're going to get pesky things out of the way. He means for you to have the authority and go, oh, that serpent's in the way of the, of the path for the advancement of the kingdom of God. I'm just going to pick you up, and I'm going to move you over here. In the name of Jesus, don't come back. <laughs> right? It's not a scary thing, you know, but there's, uh, we have, um, deliverance ministry, right? And people get all scared about over the term and what. All it is is the authority that Jesus means for you to have because you're His and you're seated on the throne with Him. It's a kingdom of authority. It's not big, scary things like you see in the movies. It's, um, wow, you are so in the way. Move over there in the name of Jesus. We're going this way. That's all. That's what this is. And who should expect that to be part of the signs on your life? Those who believe. That's it. Those who believe. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. What's that? It's really the same thing as like, don't take a tunic, don't take a bag, don't, you don't need a staff. He's really saying one of the signs that covers you is you don't have to worry about, about the strife of this world. You walk above it. It doesn't say, now believe me, he promises you will have trials and tribulations. It's not saying you won't have problems. It's just saying you are an overcomer. Automatically. Don't marvel over the fact that you're an overcomer. You're a child of God. You sit on the throne with Jesus Christ. You will overcome. If you have the faith of the centurion that he said is the greatest faith, you, you face these things in life and your attitude is, I have no doubt I'm going to overcome. It's matter of fact. I'm Jesus's. Amen? You all know that from times in your life? And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Who should expect that to be part of what you do for God? Those who believe. That's it, those who believe. Now I want to show you what happened and we'll, we'll wrap up. It says, so then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. <laughs> Can I, yeah, I'm going to be disciplined. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. That's what it says. It says amen. What does that say? The Lord working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. What's that mean? They went out and did it <laughs> with authority. They taught as ones with authority. They manifested the reality of the kingdom of God. You want to advance? Who wants to advance the kingdom of God? Okay, there's two ways. You can talk about it. You could describe it to people. Or you could go out as he intended you to go out, as the word of God says go out in power and authority. Now, we're going to have to teach more on this, I can tell. But if we want to be in the will of God this way, how did we just learn it has to be done? The only way. Abiding. Even Jesus said, I abide. I abide. How do I do this? I abide. Why do you see these things? I'm abiding. Does it make you want to abide? I know, I, I can sense in my life when I am on a course where I am just becoming powerless and weak and I'm being trampled. I'm accomplishing little. And I've just gotten to the point where I know where as soon as that starts to happen, I start to go, I am not abiding. <laughs> I'm, I'm walking around out here on my own and I'm getting trampled and accomplishing little. And you, you abide if you're, I'm, I've just made a decision. If you're scratching your head going, boy, tell me what abiding is then. I think we're going to have to teach on that. So that'll be coming up. <laughs> I want to close uh, by reading um, a scripture together. Um, let's read uh, John 15, and we're going to read verses 5 through 8. Um, we'll just read this together. And we don't have a closing song, right?
Right, okay. So we'll just close with this and then we'll dismiss. I am, and maybe I should keep reading, huh? <laughs> okay, we'll do this together. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. My challenge for this week is meditate on that and ask God to help you actually believe it. If we, the church, actually believed what we just read, we would be aligning with the culture of God, and we would release the power and authority of God in our county, in our state, in our church, in our families in ways like we've never seen before. Do you believe that? Meditate on that. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you believe what's true. Amen? Can I pray for you now? Okay. Father, we thank you so much for, for all the blessing this morning. And we thank you that you are the one lifted and sitting on the throne, that all power and authority is in your name and all of our enemies are under your feet. And we thank you, Lord, that it has always been your plan to fill us with the same spirit that filled you when you walked this earth so that we would carry the same power and authority to carry forth your kingdom and accomplish your purposes here in this earth. Lord, I ask your blessing on everyone here. I, in the strong name of Jesus, I command that the enemy will leave these words alone. He will not be able to touch the seeds that you have just sown in this place this morning through worship and through teaching. And Lord, I ask for a double portion, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit over each one of them, that you would be revealing things, that you would bring in, uh, darkness to light, revealing the love that you have for them this week and the power and authority that you cannot wait to unleash in their lives for your glory. In the name that everything must bow, and in the only name that has any power and authority, we make this prayer. And we believe that it is done in the throne room, which means it's done here. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.